there and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your pet gerbil, your Uncle Bob, your Aunt Kay, whoever may have a question. I am Courtney. I'm one of the librarians that you will be trying to stump if you ever submit a question. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Emily, how are you today, Emily? Hello, I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Awesome. Um, so what's new? What's been happening since we last met up? So um, what's new is that last year, we... Oh, so old but old new. new but old but new, that's right. Um, we got so many varieties of pumpkins. Um, we decorated the outside of the house, the inside of the house. Um, and then we decided we were going to try to grow pumpkins from these pumpkins. So we did it in a couple different ways. Some we... Um, got the seeds how you should we dried them out whatever uh and the other ones we laid out and let them rot into the ground in this patch oh. we have for them and so we're kind of just watching and seeing if we're going to grow any of those cool pumpkins um i love pumpkins so yes. yes i like to get as many as possible so it would be helpful if i if i grew some myself you grew some instead yeah. of having to buy some that's right that is cool and then of course we have our lovely producer or as i like to refer to her the librarian behind the curtain or computer that is miss jill how's it going jill what's new well what's new for me is uh, my son started high school this year which is oh my gosh stop it a big deal over here yeah and he's in the marching band so we have been going to marching band competitions and football games Wow, so much sports and music. Very fall, life. very fall. It is, yeah. And uh, he he plays the the bass drum and the drum line. Oh, percussion man! Mm-hmm. Cool, it's exciting. So, what is new with you, Courtney? All right. Well, I have been, and this is because of some of the research that we have been doing for the podcast. I've been watching a lot of ocean documentaries. Um, so, any documentary that's been on any streaming platform about like whales, sharks. Just the ocean in general, I have been enjoying. There's one that I just watched called Playing with Sharks, and it's about this diver, and she's quite old now, and at the end, she like dives down with the sharks, and she's got to be in her 70s or 80s, which is really cool. And then another one I watched, which was about orcas and great white sharks. And so off of the coast of South, um, South Africa, the orcas started attacking the great whites um, and eating just their liver, which is where <gasps> apparently all the like energy and um, that's like the bulk of what they want to eat. And the only reason they found this was because these uh, great whites washed up on shore, and so they saw only the bites from the their orc- liver. Yeah. Wow. And then the documentary that I watched was seeing if that was happening in New Zealand with the New Zealand uh, great whites and orcas because the great whites then left that part of the ocean and they haven't returned since. So they're trying to figure out if something similar is happening in New Zealand. And they did a test with, like, sounds. And when they played North American orca sounds, the sharks didn't react. But when they played the New Zealand orca sounds, they were, like, avoiding... The, you know the cage where the sound was coming from so that is absolutely why yeah i don't like oh. i'm not a fan of orcas anymore you know i don't think i'll ever be able to watch free willy the same again um because they're not nice they're not nice i guess what you have to do now is go back and live your other dream of being a marine yeah, biologist exactly. to learn what is going on i there. know it's yeah the ocean is a fascinating mm-hmm. place it's full of fascinating things but 
we have some questions to answer. Jill. We do. What's our first one? Well, our first one is from Lila, and she is going to ask the question for herself. Hi, I'm Lila. I'm seven. I go to Denver, and my question is, what are the triangles hanging on power lines? Um, is actually one of our collection development librarians. Shout out to Sam. Thanks for buying us all those great books. And we didn't really know what Lila was talking about at first, so we had to ask Sam to send us a picture of what she was talking about. Um, And so first we want to talk about everything that's on an electrical power pole. So power poles don't only have power lines on them. Um, So if you see those giant poles, you know, there's usually a handful of lines of various, you know, heights connected to them. Um, In fact, the triangle that Lila took a picture of is not on a power line. It is on a cable or a telephone wire. Um, The very top of the electric pole, where it looks like a T kind of, is where you see the primary wires. They carry the most electricity from a substation, so like the big power stations that, you know, whenever Jill's husband, Mark, who works for consumers, is called in because, oh, no, the substation went down. There's no power. That's what we're talking about. Like, that's where all of your energy comes from. And it's also shout-out to Mark and his friend for helping us realize that that was not, in fact, a power line because we did not know right away either. So... Shout out to him for that. Um, but those, um, but you can tell those are power lines because they won't touch the pole. So there's something on that pole that's called an insulator. And what those do is they prevent the energized wires from coming into contact with other wires or with the utility pole because that would be bad. Um, another thing you may see, I bet you didn't know you were going to learn this much about power lines today. I actually know nothing about power lines. Yeah, I don't either. This is really interesting. This is interesting because I know none of these things. Um, but another thing that you may see on a power pole is called a cutout. Um, and it acts like a fuse and it opens when there's a problem on that section of the line. Um, that way the problem can be stopped in just one section. So it doesn't like spread to the rest of the sections. Um, it converts high voltage electricity from the high up primary lines into lower voltage electricity that can be used in your house. Um, under that is a neutral wire, which can balance out the amount of electricity in the system. Um, and then under that secondary wire, there's so many wires, um, which carries the lower voltage of electricity after it has passed through the transformers. So The lowest wires on the poles are those telephone and cable wires. So you might see different things on the wires um, than you see connected to the utility poles. And sometimes you might see marker balls on the lines. Those are usually like big bright colors. Um, And they allow planes and helicopters to see those lines so they don't, you know, run into them or miss them, chop them off, I guess. So then you don't have power and you can't cool your house. Have you seen those marker balls over by uh, the Metro Health Hospital? I have. I kind of, again, not knowing anything really about power lines, I was like, oh, maybe it's because they had to like fix it and connect two pieces together, and this is like insulating this and making yeah, it safe. I had no patch. idea. Yeah, no, that makes sense that it would because they have hel- they have a helicopter pad at Metro. Um, they do it downtown DeVos as well. I'm sure that that's probably important there because there's lots of mm. power lines. Yeah. My house actually has the power lines are underground. So in my neighborhood, you don't really see very many power lines. Like my internet is buried, um, which is nice, but also not nice. And the funny thing is, is so I live right by the Kentwood Library, and we are not on the same power grid. 
because my power can be out, but the Kentwood Library has power or the other way around. Like, I don't have power, or the library doesn't have power, but I have power at home. So it's happened before where, like, the library didn't have power, but I had power, and I live literally five right. minutes from the library. But anyways, I, let's get to those triangles that are on that line. So some things out there are bad for power lines. So they're just, you know, hanging out in the atmosphere. Um, can you guess what things might be bad for power lines? It causes power outages. Critters of all kinds, oh, probably. Critters, yeah. What else? Um, uh, lightning. Lightning, that's a good <laughs> one. So like weather, obviously yeah. like wind, wind storms, yeah. tree branches that might be broken off. Um, wind is, is very bad for power lines. Um, and you wouldn't think that wind would bother. It's just a cord in the air, but it does. And when the wind is blowing, lines can twist. They can blow back and forth so much that they snap. And engineers have created these triangles that you see on the line to keep the wind from making the line twist. So these triangles are called wind dampeners, and they keep the line from being all twisty-turny, wrapped around in the wind. That is pretty awesome. So very helpful yeah, thing, very helpful. and I have learned so much. I have a little more appreciation for Mark and the job that he does. Just a little bit, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but that is all we have about power lines. I think Jill might have a fact of the day for us. Jill, do you have a fact? I do, and it has nothing to do with power lines, but I do want to add that uh, anytime we see a substation as a family, we have to like slow down and look at it. Oh, to acknowledge the substation. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, but today my fact is actually about polar bears. Oh, All right, polar bears. And this book is Ultimate Weatherpedia, another National Geographic kids book. You know, we have a wide collection of these National Geographic mm-hmm. kids fact books. Very fun if you want just some facts about different topics. This one is all about weather. Oh, that makes sense. And they've the got title. great images that go yeah, along Yeah, really with, good pictures. Yeah. Really, really good pictures. Mm-hmm. And um, you can find this at our website, kdl.org, and you can and put this on hold. Here is the polar bear fact. Bet you didn't know. Polar bears spend most of their time at sea, even if it's frozen. They're good swimmers and have been tracked paddling across hundreds of miles of water. This is my favorite part of this fact. Scientists consider them... Marine mammals, along with seals, whales, dolphins, and walruses. I never would have thought polar bears are marine, marine mammals. mammals. Okay, so huh. I didn't know that they were considered marine mammals, but because I've watched so many ocean documentaries, there's a blue planet. It's on um, Discovery Plus, and they talk about Arctic seas and they talk about polar bears, and they do spend a lot of time swimming. And the breaking up of the ice is really bad because they can get like stranded. Um, we're like landlocked also for like whales that swim, like narwhals are in Arctic seas. And so they need air. So you always forget that like whales and dolphins like breathe air, Mm -hmm. like they don't have Mm -hmm. the gills to live underwater. And so they look for those patches where the ice has been broken up so that they can get enough air to make it to the next one. So mm-hmm. I just have learned so much about the ocean, all because of that Nolan's one question. It's just <laughs> led me down back to my 1998 self where I wanted to be a marine biologist. But we've got a couple more questions. Okay, well, we have another question here. And this one is from Annalise, who came into the studio to record her question. Hi, 
my name is Annalise, I'm 12, and my question is, what is the difference between jams and jellies? Annalise, that is a fantastic question, and um, I get to answer it, which is also fantastic because I make jams and jellies. Um, I make more jams, but sometimes jellies happen as well. Uh, so before we get started, I have a couple questions. Do either of you fancy yourself like a jam person or a jelly person? What do you prefer when you're making like a peanut butter and jelly? I, I, I for me, it's more about the fruit. Ah. That is used, and I feel like I usually end up getting preserves, which is not part of your question. Ah. But I'm usually a strawberry or raspberry That's... type of type of gal. So maybe you do like but like a jam. I yeah. think if I had to pick between a jelly and a jam, I think I would pick a jam. Yeah, so it's got some like good globs yeah. of fruit in it. For exactly. You. Yeah. What about you, Jill? What do you? Uh... Well, I uh, make homemade freezer jam, uh, and yeah. that's I don't uh, make a lot of things like you do, so I. That's that's it for me. Freezer jam. Freezer jam. Strawberry. Freezer strawberry. Jam. Yeah. Pretty boring. It's delicious, though, I got to say. Um, I definitely make more jams, like I said, and I like jams a little bit more, which is interesting because I feel like, um, similarly, if you've listened to our past episodes, I don't like pie um, because I don't like my my fruits extra sugared. Like, I there don't like them to be so sweeter. much sugar but there's in so jam. much sugar in jam, and I do eat jam, so there's I don't, so I don't much know sugar. what's going I've on. Made, <laughs> I've made freezer jam like years ago and mm-hmm. I was I like things sweet and even I think I was blown away by how much sugar I kept having to add into the strawberry. It's an alarming amount. It, it really is. a lot. For being something that's already sweet especially. Yes. Um, so in this past year, well I'll get to your question I promise Annalise. In this past year though I did make um, a number of jellies though I made crab apple jelly these are things that I had harvested. I made dandelion jelly and wild, wild violet jelly as well um, and then we made like 8 to 10 kinds of jam. Um, so definitely this is a cool question. The perfect question for Emily. It really answer. is. So thanks, Annalise, for asking yeah. Emily the best question. You the could. best one ever. Um, so before we get talked, talking about the differences um, between the two, I kind of want to talk about the similarities because they do seem like quite similar um, foods. Uh, they both have fruit, of course. Um, they both have pectin and water and sugar mm-hmm. and acid as well. So there's a lot of similarities there. The fruit itself actually contains pectin and water and sugar and acid, but you, depending on the recipe, you have to add more of some of the ingredients than others um, to really help it either become a, a jam or a jelly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both made by he- using heat, which is needed to release the pectin um, and help evaporate the water so that it's not just like wet fruit um, at the end uh, as well. That makes sense. And they're both used as a food accompaniment, accompaniment um, like peanut butter and jelly, which I am firmly in the team Crunchy PB. Just, I'm going to put that out there. Another fight is about to start. I'm firmly in the in the team creamy, especially after my root canal problem, which you heard about oh, last time, which I right. cracked the tooth while I was eating trail mix, which had nuts. So oh, now no. I'm definitely not team crunchy peanut butter. Oh, okay. Team smooth all the way. But oh. we we can agree to we disagree. Can, that's on, right. On it's things. okay. We can still be podcast people yes, together. we can be friends. Um, so then, I guess, what is the difference between jams and jellies? Um, it's people really, want to know. Pe- the people want to know, and I'm going to tell them right now. Um, the difference is how the fruit gets into them um, and how much of that original fruit gets into them. So for jams, you have the fruit that you'll, like, say you're doing strawberry jam, you will chop it up or, or mash mm-hmm. it up, and there, yeah, there'll be bits of the fruit or quite big 
bits of the fruit and there's going to be the seeds still in there the pulp will get in there as well um jams have a really fun like lovely blobby texture Mm -hmm. um and it's generally uses uh the pectin in the fruit to to jam it but i i always use extra pectin because i don't feel like mine ever jam enough um if i just use the pectin in the fruit Mm -hmm. But it is a bit, like, looser consistency. Like, you can plop it on out to your bread. It's going to kind of, like, spread out mm-hmm. um, on there a little bit more. Um, it's kind of more like a gelled, like, syrup. So so that's a big a big difference. Um, but whereas the jelly is made by using the juice of the fruit, so you're not going to get, like, the bits of fruit oh, in there. Uh, yeah. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. So also just as delicious, but, yeah, you're yeah. not getting the pulp and the seeds and stuff. If you don't like seeds, definitely go with jelly. Yeah. Um, it holds itself in place more. It's more similar to, like, jello. Like, it'll wiggle a little bit more oh, like I'm that. So indifferent <laughs> about got, that. We've got lots of faces going on in this podcast That's studio. Like, a lot of concerns with our, yeah. our jelly. Well, I've had this conversation about gravy. So people make gravy at different consistencies. Oh. And if my gravy can jiggle, it's it's a no. It's That's a fair. Pack. Respectfully decline that gravy. It needs to be pretty firmly a liquid. Does it bug you out at all when there's like, it's a liquid and then there's like clumps in your gravy? like that i have a hard time uh, yeah i mean yeah i feel like i like a smooth gravy that's fair but anyways back to yeah, back, back, back to, to jams and jellies so those are essentially the differences um but when i was writing this i was like hey you know what about marmalades like Ooh. i feel like we need to add those in that's here for, yeah. for our paddington bear enthusiasts for, for our paddington bear Love enthusiasts a good orange marmalade. this is just for you um it's really helpful to kind of think about marmalades and jams and jellies as the like they're in the same family they're all very okay. similar would you say um, they're siblings or cousins i would say they're siblings siblings okay mm-hmm. i That's definitely good. would say they're siblings um similarly to jam marmalades are their pre- preserves made with fruit bits um, still in them but for marms as i like to affectionately call them um citrus fruits are used and you'll use the whole fruit so you'll use the the mm-hmm. rind and the pith and all of that so um, jill could have turned her uh poor lemon pie if you listened to the last episode that's right into lemon marmalade maybe well and essentially it sounded like a marmalade pie which yeah. which would be interesting for sure um but yeah, that's that's the difference. They're all delicious. Um, in France, I know that they make marmalades um, traditionally with I think it's like Seville or Seville oranges, um, but you can yeah do lemons or grapefruits or whatnot. And um, it's fairly simple to make and it's really delicious to eat. So so our preserves jam. So what are preserves though? Do you think? Because I bought watermelon preserves at Trader Joe's. I've yet to try it. I have a lot of different jam esque things. I think fruit spreads, I guess, would per, be the name of their family. Yeah, yeah, the fruit spread family. I think spreads. preserves use more um, fruit. Okay. Yeah, I do like chunks of fruit in my things. Yeah. I'll let you know how that watermelon preserves. Taste. Yeah, please. Let they me said know. the the packaging said uh, about putting it on waffles, and I was like, sold, done, sold, I'm done. <laughs> I'll I'm buy here you for it. You can also make like onion jams which or like are pepper jams yeah which i like the onion jams i think are different you're not necessarily putting like packed it in but you're like cooking out a lot of the liquid to yeah. kind of get it to congeal yeah. so. there's lots of like savory jellies i think yeah like they have like pepper jelly and things like that what a great question mm-hmm. all right well i have been reading a book so i talked earlier about my obsession with oceans and so i found this book when i was 
uh, shelving the new nonfiction at my library, and it's called A Turtle's View of the Ocean Blue. It's by Catherine Barr, and Brendan Kearney drew the pictures, and it's really important because the illustrations in this book are the cutest things. They make even the orca look cute, even an anglerfish. Yes, they're really, like, quite gorgeous. They're really nice. So it basically goes through the different oceans, um, why oceans matter. It talks about all the different life that's there, the different zones. So we talked about some of the zones um, in the podcast where we talked about um, what creature can live at the deepest depths. Um, But it's just super cute and... Honestly, I really grabbed it because of the illustrations. I'm not going to lie. I'm a sucker for nonfiction that has really good and cute but accurate illustrations. So, In the the nonfiction book world for kids and um, picture books, there are some fantastic illustrators. Truly. Sometimes you just can get the most gorgeous uh, drawings out of them. Mm-hmm. Illustrations really sell a picture, picture book, Absolutely. especially like for story time. It's got to have good illustrations, but... Let's answer another question. Jill, what's our last question of the pod? Okay, before we uh, ask our last question here, I just want to encourage you, if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it, um, please rate us on your podcast catcher, but also you can give us a question. We would mm-hmm. love to hear your questions. Try to stump us. So that is kdl.org forward slash stump, and you can... Get your question on the pod and see if you can stump us. So here's our next question. And this question also comes from Annalise, age seven, from our Gaines branch. And this question is, what kind of fish has lungs and gills? I think this one is for you, Courtney. This is a perfect question for me. Courtney question all the way. It's a Courtney question all the way because if we've learned anything, we've learned that Courtney likes a good fish or ocean question. Um, so believe it or not, Annalise, and other curious listeners, the name of this fish that has both lungs and gills is, wait for it, a lungfish. Ah. That is the name. I mean... It could be called the lung gill fish, I feel like, if it could you be, really want but to. If it's a fish, I feel like it implies that oh, it has true. gills, not one. usually implied that it has lungs. Um, and honestly, I swear on my copy of Looking for Alaska that that is the name of the fish. That's the common name. There is a Greek name or a Latin name that I'm, I'm not going to pronounce because I will not say it correctly, and I will feel bad for the scientific community. Um, but there is a fish of this type that lives at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago, and his name is Granddad, who is again, wait for it, wait, are you waiting? I'm, I'm waiting. Down. I'm here. I'm ready. A hundred years old. Wow. This fish is 100 years old. Um, yeah. Think of all the things that fish has seen. Think of all the people that wow. fish has seen at the aquarium. I'm kidding. Um, this guy is the oldest fish that we know of anywhere in the world currently, and now as we talked about a few episodes ago, there's a lot of creatures in the ocean that have been undiscovered and lurking in the depths. So it's it's highly likely that there is a fish um, that is older. Again, we aren't tracking all of the things, but because Granddad lives in the aquarium, we know a lot about him. Um, we know how old he is. This guy found his way to sheds back in 1932 when the then-director Walter E. Shute learned about this incredible fish that lived where he was headed in Australia and thus he returned with granddad and, well, a grandma, I guess, because he came with the maiden pair. Mm. So he brought both of them back. Um, and they lived together until 1980. Um, so 
So obviously, 1980, we lost Grandma, but Granddad is swimming solo. He's hanging out. Um, there are six types of this fish. Um, there are four that live um, in Africa, one that lives in Australia, which is what Granddad is, and one that lives near South America. So the Australian or the Queensland lungfish is the most primitive out of all of them it, because it only has one lung. So the other fish have two lungs. They have a pair, like we have a pair of lungs that help us breathe. Um, but being able to breathe air makes Granddad particularly fascinating because of the advantage it gives him out in the wild if he were to live out in the wild, which he doesn't. Um, and that's surviving droughts and just like surviving in general. But you can go to Shed's Aquarium and you can see... Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, <gasps> golly gee. Dude, that, wow. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> I feel like I have to redo this question now. No, Granddad. No, Granddad. <laughs> okay, this is an update. Um, while I was answering this question, Jill did some Googling, which this information was not on the page that I was looking at, which was from the American Lung Association, and unfortunately, Granddad, the lungfish, is no longer with us. He has been gone since 2017, so you cannot go to Shed's Aquarium to see this fish. Let's have a moment of silence for Granddad, the lungfish. All right. Well, that was a downer, but you might be wondering why this particular fish has lungs um, because most fish um, don't have lungs. There are marine mammals, obviously, like whales and dolphins, that do have lungs, but that is because they breathe air. They get their oxygen from the air. Fish get their oxygen from the water, from the H2O. Um, and this fish most likely spends its days underwater. And so what advantage does it have to having both sets of breathing apparatus? Well, let me paint you this picture. So when the harsh heat causes the rivers to dry up in tropical climates, most of the fish, you know, they shimmy together in the mud to stay cool um, and to stay underwater. But this is problematic because all those fish crowd together. I mean, imagine if you've ever been in a room that is packed to the gills. No pun intended. (laughs) Thank you, Internet, for that great pun. Um, You'll know that things can get uncomfortable fast. I mean, in this last year, we haven't been around crowds of people, but if you can take yourself back to a time when there were crowds of people, it it gets hot. It's not fun. Um, And and quickly. It gets hot quickly. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the air gets really stuffy, so the scene goes for this large pool of evaporating water. With more fish using up the remaining oxygen um, in the shrinking pool of water, the less oxygen is available underwater for the fish to breathe. Here's where the lungfish have an advantage. Unlike other fish that just have gills, lungfish can surface, take a breath, and survive when other fish might be lacking air. In fact, much like many sea mammals, lungfish are obligate air breathers. They do have to breathe air above periodically to survive um so some super fascinating things um about those types of fish they're like you should look up what they look like we'll try and insert a photo if we can um and again this question is being answered in memory of granddad the lungfish from shed's aquarium really some fantastic information (laughs) there That was a good one. That was a good one. I do have a quick question. Did grandma and grandpa ever have baby fish that maybe live 
in I sheds. Don't know that was not shared. That's fair. Um, but well, you, the listener, can go out and, and, and look find that out. up. Yeah, if you go to Shed's Aquarium. I'm sure they will say if they have any lungfish that are the offspring. Yeah. Of I don't know if that was her name, but since they called the one granddad, it makes. I sense. assumed they called the yeah. one grandma. It's fitting. It, it does seem a little bit fitting for this, but. Um, so we learned a lot today. So much. So many things. Uh, one sad thing, but, you know, say lovey. Say lovey. It happens. What, what, did, what was your favorite thing? In um, I I think about the power lines, because, again, I'm going to say it again. I know nothing about yeah. power lines. Um, I know that you need to stay away from a downed power line. Oh, um, yeah. For sure. But it's it's good to know that they've invented this. It's called a wind dampener. Yes. Is that what it is? Yep. To kind of help. Um, keep the power lines up where they're supposed to be and yeah, not so down on the ground. Wibbly wobbly in the air. I yeah. will say that that's probably one of my, I think that's the most useful thing that we've learned yeah. on the podcast yeah. today and knowing that. I would like to uh, just read this statement from Shed Aquarium on the life of Granddad. Oh, perfect. This is a great way to end the pod. Yes. Uh, Michelle Sattler, who has provided care for Granddad for over 30 years, said, Granddad lived a pretty relaxed life enjoyed interactions with us, including gentle packs, pats along his back, and loved to eat his leafy greens. Oh, granddad. granddad. They did say he would, like, fish. spook the caretakers because he would just, like, you know, he'd be chilling in the water, and then he would pop up to breathe. And so the caretakers <laughs> would, like, jump when they're trying to, like, clean his tank or whatever. Oh, granddad. But, um, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to Lila, Annalise, and Annalise for your great questions. That's right. Also, thank you to J.D. Dolinsky for the intro music, the KDL Amy Van Andel branch, again, for their fabulous podcast room, and the KDL marketing department, as well as Mark and his friend for helping with the yes. power line question. As always, you can visit kdl.org forward slash stump uh, for more information or to submit your own question to try to get the chance for us to answer it on our podcast here. And tune in next episode where we get to answer more of your questions. All right, thank you and bye. bye.